you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. You know, this is a wonderful time of year to be making plans for what you want the next year to look like. We're going to be unpacking your questions right here. Questions about how do we enter the new year with a sense of optimism and clear plans for what we want to accomplish. This is the podcast where we identify what is your passion? How can you put legs on that to do work that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable? You know, speaking of making plans at the beginning of the year, uh, this morning I reviewed goals that we had set last year with some friends and it was pretty interesting in that those who had set very specific goals pretty much accomplished them those that had set elusive goals like gee i want to lose some weight i want to make a little bit more money i'm thinking about selling my house i want to ramp up my business i mean it was amazing how clearly those that were just generic, just kind of fuzzy goals, just didn't happen, didn't come into view. Hey, I want to challenge you. Make your goals specific. Identify exactly what it is that you want to accomplish. You'll be amazed how doors will start opening. Well, here's some things we're going to discuss today. You know, where this is where we take 48 minutes each week just to discuss the value of our work. And as much as I talk about the importance of work, please hear me. Work is only one tool for successful life. We're going to hear that in some of the questions today. Got some really hot questions. You guys keep throwing me hot potatoes. We're going to have fun unpacking those. Here's some of the things we'll be looking at today. Dan, selling cars leaves me very frustrated. Can I learn to get over this? How about this one? Dan, how would you have coached George Bailey? Would we have missed the ending to It's a Wonderful Life? Boy, that would maybe scratch my head a little bit. Here's another one I want to address. This comes really out of some content and wisdom meets passion, but why working by the hour will keep you poor. Somebody ask a question that's relative to that. Why working by the hour will keep you poor. Dan, how can I balance my life when I'm working two jobs and I'm always tired? Dan, what advice did you give to the government employee who was comfortably lazy, securely boring and absolutely miserable? I just mentioned that last night. I'd gotten an email. Yeah, I'll tell you what I told him. Dan, what's the connection between a person's appearance and their success? Whoa, there's a hot potato again. Well, here's a quotation we're going to use for today. This comes from Robert Schuler. If there exists no possibility of failure, then victory is meaningless. Now think about that for a minute. If there exists no possibility of failure, then victory is meaningless. I mean, if, if something is guaranteed, well, we hear a lot about that the, these days. People want things that are guaranteed, where there's no possibility of failure. They want it guaranteed. Everything should be assured. This morning in my guys group, we were talking about the fact that before long, people expect coffee to be one of the basic necessities. They ought to be guaranteed coffee every day. Yeah, right. Give me a break. Well, We'll move on from there before I get into any uh, political diatribes here. We'll just move on into your great questions for the day. If you've got questions, you can go to the 48days.com website 
click on the podcast link. You'll see a little box jumps up there and you can either write in a question or you can just click on the little speak button and just give me an audio question. You know, it's funny with, I, I promote that and I have to be honest. A lot of times when I get audio questions, I just do a summary of it anyway. I'm pretty impatient and I want to get right to the point. And so if you call and you leave a two minute voicemail, it's probably never going to be played on here. I don't play many on here because with most of them, I feel like I can give a quick synopsis of the question, move on so we can get more content in. And to be honest, uh, I hear from you all when I play those audio clips, it seems like the majority of you are saying, don't waste the time playing them. You know, I struggle with that because I used to be on live radio. So all the questions were live questions and there, I mean, I always kept my finger on the dump button because a lot of times if somebody rambled on too long, boom, you just didn't hear them anymore. And I'd go right in and answer the question. Well, to give this more a feel of live radio, it's tempting to have those live questions in there, but I don't really prefer that. So if you all are confirming for me that you'd rather just hear me give a quick synopsis of the question anyway, I'll probably continue to do primarily that. And I hear pretty quickly if I go on with somebody's long drawn out question. Well, speaking of which, let's get right to him. Jim from Detroit says, hi, Dan, I bit the bullet, began blogging. I now have a couple of months under my belt, would like feedback on the format and content. I write about technology and personal growth. My niche is short, concise post. My question is, at what point should I break off into a self-hosting blog with a dedicated domain? Is it by the number of readers, an amount of time or post? Ideally, I don't like to bootstrap the blog to cover any hosting fees. Do you have any guidelines? Well, Jim, I went to your, went to your website. I do have some comments on it in general. Um, one, one thing I want to comment on right off the bat, though, you said I bit the bullet, began blogging. I'm not sure what that means. If you bit the bullet, that's like swallowing bad medicine. Then my question would be, why are you doing that? I mean, I don't recommend blogging for everybody. I only recommend blogging if it's something that you really enjoy, something that's a good fit and something that would make sense in terms of your business model. But if you bite the bullet and that you have to just these excruciating times of cranking out another blog, it may not be for you, period. But let's let's assume that you just used a cliche there. I bit the bullet and uh, meaning that you just went ahead and got started. But in your blog post, I would encourage you to warm it up. I mean, you, people will never be attracted to just content. They want to know who you are. And even your about link, you don't even give your name. Now, you give a little bit about yourself. I am first and foremost a servant. My greatest passion is helping others. I mean, that sounds fine. But let people know who you are, what, what you're all about. Um, what else are you doing besides writing about technology? Now, there's not a magic time in which you go to a self-hosted blog. I mean, th th you can continue doing what you're doing just on a WordPress format there for a long time. You can build a big audience there if you want to. If you want to make it a little more professional, ramp it up a little bit more, make it your own thing, then I encourage you to go watch Michael Hyatt's. He's got a He's got a short post, how to launch a self-hosted WordPress blog in 20 minutes or less. I'll put the link to that in the show notes, but you can just go to Michael Hyatt, H-Y-A-T-T.com, put in self-hosted blog, and it'll come right up. But I'll put that in the show notes, how to launch your own 
blog post. Yeah, if you're really going to do this, you're serious about it. I would say after you've been blogging for three or four months, probably go ahead and set up your own site, just as you're alluding to. Randy from Austin, Texas says, Dan, I enjoy your podcast. What do you recommend in my situation? I've worked at a car dealership for almost a year. I don't like the ups and downs and prefer steady income, but I do enjoy the good money that can be made in sales. I've had a headache and neck pain for a week. I think it's from stress being 42 and in good health. I've never had chronic pain like this before this past week. It just seems like a grind to call and email customers trying to get business in the door. Maybe the car business isn't a good fit for me. When I go home, I'm completely exhausted and have no time for fun with friends or hobbies. I have only one day off a week. It's very frustrating. Can I learn to get over this? Or maybe car sales aren't my thing. What do you think? Well, when you say, Randy, when you say, I don't like the ups and downs and prefer steady income, true salespeople don't look at the income that they're making per day, per week, or even month. If you're really a sales guy, you'll want to look at your income by the year. Now, I, in, in my early years in selling, you know, selling cars as you are, years and years ago out in Anaheim, California, I used to panic if I didn't sell a car like every three days. Like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Well, I had an old guy who worked for me who wiped the cars down in the morning. He was an old car guy and taught me a lot about the car business and life in general in retrospect. I wish I could tell him that. He's been gone for many years now, but a wonderful old guy named Cecil Barrow. And he told me when I'd vent my frustration, oh my gosh, you know, it's the third day I haven't sold a car. I got to sell a car today. He said, Dan, you don't look at the car sales by the day or the week or even the month. But if you continue doing what you're doing, treating people like you're treating them, you're going to have a year beyond the best year you ever experienced in your life. Well, that turned out to be true. The first year in car sales, my income was like four times what I had ever experienced in my life. Now, another issue here, you've got to understand the connection between income and time perspective. When you say you want steady income, you want income every day, every week or whatever. When, as people's income goes up, their time perspective lengthens. Here's how this works. And Dave Ramsey and I talk about this a lot. If somebody's making $8 an hour, they think week to week they get a paycheck on friday monday morning it's all gone they start over again their time frame is very very short if you rent an apartment to somebody like that you better collect rent every friday afternoon not once a month their time frame is so short and you see that you know these i looked at a trailer park here a while ago that had amazing cash flow but the only way it worked is to go around and knock on doors on friday afternoon and collect rent once a week that's how it was done. That's how those people think and live. And it's very profitable, but I didn't like, I didn't like that particular feature of it. But as people's income goes up, as somebody makes, you know, 70, $80,000 a year, they start to think year to year. Next year, we're going to open a Roth IRA. Next year, we're going to go on a cruise. Next year, we're going to start a college fund for our kids. So they start thinking longer. You talk to somebody that's making two, $300,000 a year. They always think in five and 10 year timeframes. So we've got the chicken and the egg here, I realize. But if you start thinking longer time frame, you put yourself in a category of people whose income is higher. Now, I agree that if you're this stressed, car selling may not be for you. It should not be that stressful. Believe me, it should be 
something that you really enjoy. Now, should it be something you walk away from? I don't know. You ought to be realistic. Does this kind of selling fit you? We talk on here about the personality styles, the DISC. If you're a high D, you're very dominant, outgoing, opinionated, boom, go get them, kill something, drag it home. Then car sales would fit you. I mean, that fits. I mean, I'm a high D. I love car sales. Somebody walks in a lot. I know that you're going to help them make a decision before they walk off the lot. If they walk off the lot, they're not coming back. They aren't going to go home and think about it, talk to their wife. They're not coming back. They're just trying to get away from you. So you got to help make a decision right then. If you're not that kind of person, car sales may not be a good fit. Can you learn to do it better? Now, I should add to that. My goodness, I don't want to walk away from that and not add to that. If you're not a high D, that doesn't mean you can't be good in sales. If you're a high I, somebody who's very influencing, gregarious, social, outgoing, kind of the cheerleader, you might be great as an account rep for Nike shoes. So you go out here this week and you're going to talk to 23 store managers, same people you saw last week, same ones you're going to see next week. It's very relationship oriented selling. You know when their birthdays are and how big the fish is that they caught last summer on vacation. That's a very different kind of selling that would fit somebody who's a high I rather than somebody who's a high D. If you're a high S or C, we'll just group those, but somebody who's more, more analytical, detailed, methodical, you may be great at selling MRI machines. You go out here and you talk to hospitals. So you're going to talk to chief financial officers or purchasing agents. People who like you are very analytical and detailed. They want the facts. They aren't moved with hype and emotion. And so you do a prospectus for their business. You lay out how purchasing your piece of equipment is going to save them 18% over the next three years. They take you know, six months and then they make a million dollar decision. I mean, that would be a kind of selling that would be perfect fit for you. So you may just be in the wrong kind of selling if you're struggling this month with car selling. I love selling in that it does remove the ceiling in terms of financial opportunity. I mean, we know that. Can you learn to be better? Absolutely. I mean, great selling skills are not just something you're born with any more than you're born being a brain surgeon. You learn how to sell effectively. You learn the, the fact that 40% of the selling process is developing rapport and trust. If somebody doesn't trust you, it doesn't matter if you're selling $10 bills for eight bucks, they aren't going to buy. 40% developing rapport and trust. You got to cover that. 30% identifying the need, the person you're working with. 20% is product knowledge, product presentation. 10% is then what we call closing or gaining commitment. So there's a process you go through and you can learn how to sell. I love the selling process and it doesn't matter if you're a school teacher, a mom, a pastor, an evangelist, you are selling and you, you serve yourself well by learning how to do it with excellence. So selling is not something you just either you're going to do or you don't, you, you need to learn how to do it effectively, but then you need to find how does it best fit you? Where can you use your personality, your skills best in an environment where it's a natural kind of process for you. Car selling provides a broad, broad spectrum of opportunities. If you're selling new cars, that's one thing. If you're selling used cars, that's different. I mean, with new cars, somebody comes in and looks at a, a Ford F-150, 
they can jump online and they can shop exactly the same vehicle, the same color, the same features, everything, and they may save $50 down the street. That's a tough business to sell cars in that way where people are just price shopping you and you just got to sell a commodity and make it cheaper. If you're selling used cars, you know, I, when I was selling cars, I was selling used cars. Loved it. I used to have, I, I had a knack for finding like the 53, 54, 55 Ford pickup trucks. Now they were old even then. This was years ago, but even then they were really cool. Well, if I have a 55 Ford pickup truck sitting on my lot, they can't just drive down the street and find another one. It's a one of a kind. So you put yourself in a different category. I love that kind of selling. And I've had cars where new car dealers may have a $400 profit margin at full list retail. Well, I had cars where I'd make two, $3,000 on them because they were one of a kind exotic cars that I would pull in recon anything that they needed. So they were perfect, impeccable. I mean, I love selling those kind of cars. You might find a better opportunity there. Specialty cars, you could be involved where they're just selling classics or just Corvettes, or you could own your own little lot where you're only open two days a week. I mean, there's a whole lot of options. I mean, I still love flipping cars. I don't do it anymore, but still love the idea of it. Always a sucker. I've been online just recently because I have the hots for a particular kind of Corvette that I'm looking for. And Joanne knows that. I was showing her some online last night. I, I got outbid on one. On eBay, I thought it went a little higher than what I ought to, but I know the market, I'm learning it, and I, I just love the process. So there's a lot of opportunities in selling cars, but yes, it does have to fit you. Well, let me move on here. Tom from San Diego says, I just watched It's a Wonderful Life. Half again, halfway through, I got to wondering, what would Dan have said to George Bailey if he had come to him for advice because he was trapped in a job he hated and was watching his dream slip away? How might that have changed such a great ending? Now, I'll tell you, Tom, that made me scratch my head. I thought, would I have just told Tom, hey, get out of there? I mean, George, not Tom, you're Tom. Would I have told George just, you know, get out of there, this stinks, we'll find something else for you to do? I mean, it's a great question. What if I had coached George Bailey to leave banking, go in a different direction? Well, frankly, I don't think I would have. I think all those reasons for him being in such a meaningful and respected position in the community were pretty easy to see from an outside perspective. I think I would have shown gently, shown George how his passion for serving and caring for people was already being accomplished in his position. Now, yes, he needed more autonomy from old skin flint, Mr. Potter, who was making his life miserable. I would have helped him figure out a way to do that. Make yourself more separated from that old jerk. But George had such momentum in the years of treating people fairly, helping them become more successful. He had already put in his 10,000 hours of learning how to be excellent. He had already proved that this was a blending of his skills and abilities, personality traits, values, dreams, and passions. I mean, we would answer yes to all those things. I think I would have helped him see Yes, there were some irritating parts of what he was doing, but this was an amazing opportunity that fit him so well to be the person he wanted to be. Having said that, there's a lot of people that come to me who are already where they need to be. A couple years ago, I had an anesthesiologist come to me. His base pay was $750,000, and then with bonuses, he was part of a group practice, so with bonuses, 
he was always getting over a million dollars. Well, he decided that his work really was a pain in the neck. He just didn't want to do it anymore. He needed to get out and do something else. Well, I don't just jump in and say, okay, well, just quit that. We'll figure something else out. I help the person look at, why are you where you are? What are what's happening here? In working with the anesthesiologist, we did a zero-based time budget where I had him look at how is he spending his time. As an example, he was coaching his son's soccer, little, little league soccer team. I said, well, how long does that take you? Well, I do that on Thursday nights. It's from 6 to 8 o'clock. Okay, how, when do you get there? Well, I'm usually there by 4.30 to get things set up. When do you leave? Well, it's usually 9 o'clock or so by the time I finish talking to parents. How much time do you spend during the week reviewing videos, scheduling tournament games, talking to other parents? What happened is what he saw as a two-hour-a-week commitment really was more like a 12- to 15-hour commitment. There were a whole bunch of things in his life that were like that. He had said yes to so many things. He was a very gracious, kind Christian man. He had said yes to so many things. It had overwhelmed his life. And in that situation, yes, going to work was something he tried to squeeze in and it became increasingly frustrating to try to make everything fit. And he decided his work needed to go. No, I had him get a personal assistant. Somebody who would go pick up the dry cleaning. Somebody would put his boat into dry dock for the winter, do all those details that he was doing. He eliminated a whole bunch of the volunteer things that he was doing, said no to being on committees as he looked at priorities in his life. And guess what? He rediscovered the thrill of the work that he was perfectly suited to do. His work as a highly paid anesthesiologist was a perfect application of his skills and abilities. His personality tendencies was a great venue for him to mentor young medical students coming through that he enjoyed greatly. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't coach him out of doing that. There are a whole lot of people that come to me where in really taking a fresh look at what they're doing, realize there's good reason for them being where they are. It's healthy to take a fresh look and to recognize that you have options and that you're not trapped. But in doing so often, it reconfirms that this wasn't just an accident that I ended up here. There's a reason for me to be where I am. Well, if you just jumped in here, you're listening to Dan Meller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we take your questions, unpack them, look at ways to make our work more meaningful and more profitable, more fulfilling in every way. If you want to send a question in, I'd be delighted to entertain that. Just go to the 48days.com website, click on the podcast link, and you can either write it out there or just speak it. There's also a Google number there. You can call and leave a number there if you want to do that. DJ from Idaho says, I'm currently a web graphic designer. Now, I'm going to spend a little time on this because this is one where in the show notes, when I listed coming in, I said, I'm going to talk about why hourly pay will keep you poor. This is the question. DJ says, I'm currently a web designer, web graphic designer, online advertiser. I work part-time for an online company. Two days of the week, I work on freelance graphic and web design. As of right now, my freelance time pays about the same as my other job per hour. 
I want to know if you have any ideas for breaking that income threshold where I can have my freelance work become more profitable than my job where I get paid by the hour. Someday I want to start a business where I can use my specific skills and do what I love. Any ideas for how I can use graphic web design to take my income to the next level? Yes. Now I'm going to generalize here because I know this is a principle that applies to a whole lot of you listening. But DJ, what I'm going to tell you is break out of the jail of working by the hour. As a graphic designer, you're perfectly positioned to be paid by the project. If I wanted to use you to design a new book cover or set up a new website, there is no way under God's green earth that I would agree to pay you by the hour. All real professionals get paid for results, not time. I mean, poor people trade their time for money. The problem is that time is limited. Therefore, there's always going to be a ceiling on your possible income. If you're in the coffee business and you get an order for 50,000 bags of coffee, you call your suppliers, deliver that quantity and count your profits. If you're working by the hour and your boss says he has an opportunity for you to work an extra 50,000 hours, what can you do? If you're being paid $20 an hour, yeah, that's a cool million. That's a million bucks, but you can't deliver. Even at 80 hours a week, it would take you the next 12 years to cash in. I mean, how frustrating is that? In Wisdom Meets Passion, my newest book, in chapter four on page 97, I title a section, Hourly Pay Will Keep You Poor. I've been doing a whole lot of radio interviews, almost without exception, that comes up, where they want to know, what are you talking about? Hourly pay will keep you poor. Well, I want to exaggerate a point, but in challenging times, I see people managing their money better I commend them on getting involved in programs like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, as thousands already have done. But here's a really important principle. Not only is it important to manage your money better, but it's important to realize now is a great time to figure out how to make more money. Wealth is never made by the hour. It's made with ideas and a plan of action. Now, let me just go through a little scenario here. And this, this comes right out of Wisdom Meets Passion. If you already have that book, just check on page 97. You'll see what I'm referencing. If you make $15 an hour, you're making about $31,000 a year. So a cost of living increase of three to 4% is not going to significantly change your financial position. Yeah, you can do a great job. You can ask for a, a 10% raise each year. And in eight years, you'll double your income to 62,000. So if you get a 10% raise each year in eight years, you'll double your income, but that's eight years from now. And doubling your pay in an hourly position is not going to happen unless you bring new skills to the table. So a better question is, how could you make an extra $2,600 a month starting now and make that doubling of your income happen this next year? We're right here at the beginning of the last month of the year, getting ready to go into 2013. If you're making $31,000 a year, Could you make $62,000 this next year? Yes, you can. You can keep your same job. All you have to do is figure out how to make another $2,600 a month to make that happen. Now that's more doable than you might think. And I've got a lot of ideas listed out here in Wisdom Meets Passion in this chapter four. You could mow 10 yards a week at $60 a piece. You could um, spend $1,300 a month buy an old silver at garage sales and estate sales, clean it up, know the market well, and resell it on eBay. 
and I've got other ideas, things you can do through here. So if you want to make a hundred thousand next year, I would not calculate. I mean, here, here's how we could go. Well, okay. Let's say that you're making as a graphic designer, $25 an hour. So if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars next year, you have to work. If you're working hourly, you have to work 4,000 hours, 4,000 hours. If you take two weeks off vacation, that means you need to work 80 hours a week. Can you do that? Well, not without sacrificing success in some other areas. You can't work 80 hours a week, but that's what you have to do if you're making $25 an hour. Now, let me give you a recent example here. And I, some of you may actually be participating in this, but I, I recently I saw a need for me to generate $25,000. Now I won't go into the details, but it, it, it involved a government agency who at the end of the year likes to make sure they have all the money owed to them coming $25,000. You know, it's one of those where I just roll my eyes and it could we cover it. Yes. But I thought, what could I do? So I don't have to dip into anything that we already have in place. Just find $25,000 out of the air. If I make $50 an hour, that's 500 hours. If I put in an extra 10 hours a week, that's a whole year. If I put in an extra 20 hours a week, that's 30 weeks or, or still almost eight months. I mean, I don't like to think like that. I don't like to think, well, if I just put in more hours, no, I don't want to do that. So how am I going to get 25,000 bucks? Now I did this because I want to encourage other people who come through our coaching process and other coaches we have, but this is just one quick example. I put together, I got up early one morning and in about 10 minutes put together a little process I call living the dream, a coaching process. We're right here going into the beginning of the year. How would you like to work with me and just really clarify what you want to accomplish next year and a plan to make that happen? So I said, I'm going to work with 13 people, only 13 people. Well, guess what? I'm going to charge for it. $2,013. Obviously that was not scientific. It was because we're going into the next year. I thought, well, I'll just use that figure. $2,013, 13 people. I put that up on our website and in within 24 hours, those spots were filled. I also clarified, this is going to happen between November 15th and December 15th. We're going to have two sessions together, but no matter when we start, how we structure it, what your time commitments are, we're going to be finished in the next 30 days, November 15th, December 15th, 24 hours. That was filled. Now you can do the math on that. That's if you want to do the math, it's $26,169. I have completed that process with four people have the remaining wants to just complete the second session, but I mean, everybody's fully engaged. We're having a blast with it. It's really energizing for me, but that's how I look at if there's going to be income generation. I never think about time. I think about what's an idea that I could come up with where the idea will produce the results that I want. I would say if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars next year and you're a graphic designer, web designer, I would encourage you find 20 projects that are $5,000 each. What if you got five websites to develop at $5,000 each? Here's the cool thing about doing that in developing a website. If you have experience in doing that, when you start a new website, you don't start at ground zero. 
you may find if you have five websites to develop that 80% of the construction work is exactly the same. It's only the 20% that makes it specific and individual for that organization. So there's that economy of scale that you get by working on projects that are very similar where you're charging for the entire project, but a lot of work really is overlapped. This is not something that I just thought up. This is something that professionals do all the time. Alan Weiss is an author. He has written multiple books on this, but his newest book is called the consulting Bible. And in that he lays out how he has as one individual guy with a part-time assistant generates over a million dollars a year consistently. But here's how he does it. I'll just give you a real quick synopsis. If he goes into an organization, they say, we need a new sales process for our team. He says, all right, that's going to be a $75,000 project. I'll have it ready for you in 60 days. They say, okay, well, guess what? He may be working with three other companies that also want a new sales process. And again, 80% of developing that work, all the structure may be exactly the same. So you get the overlap of projects where you're working on them together like that, which any professional ought to be able to do. That's what he recommends. Well, that's, that is in Alan Weiss, the consulting Bible. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, where you can go right to that on Amazon and get that. It's one I have, I mean, I have devour his stuff have for years. It, it helped me break out of hourly work into doing project work in everything that I do. I mean, there's nothing I do that is connected with hours at all. Speaking of which, I ought to also mention on December 12th, Wednesday, December 12th, I don't know when you're listening to this, but Wednesday, December 12th, I'm going to be doing a teleseminar with my son, Kevin. Kevin has Free Agent Academy. He and his family live out in Woodland Park, Colorado, but it's an organization where he helps people identify their dreams, put legs on them. But we're going to be doing a teleseminar. And what he wanted me to do was my top five keys for transitioning from traditional employment to self-employment. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing a teleseminar on that. You can go to freeagentacademy.com. You'll see all the details there. What he's got going, the, the, the way you get access to this is his regular monthly membership, I think is like 95 bucks. But right now you can get in for $5 to get access to everything, including this teleseminar we're going to be doing on how to move from traditional employment to self-employment. And also with that, you're going to get a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion sent to you. It's uh, along with a audio bonus that Jared and I did. So that's a pretty expensive package that you're getting right there, but five bucks will get you into free agent Academy and also get you lined up for that teleseminar. I, I have identified the five keys for transitioning from traditional employment to self-employment might surprise you what I've got outlined, but we're going to talk about those on Wednesday, December 12th. So check out freeagentacademy.com, get the details there. Liber from uh, Massachusetts says, Dan, just wondering if you'd go through how to fill in the Venn diagram. I'm having some trouble with it. Not sure if it should be easy and I'm just not at the point where I should even be filling one out yet. Now I talk about the Venn diagram as something that I use in my business where it's three circles that overlap. If you can visualize that and you can get that under free resources at at 48days.com just to look at the model that I use in our business, but it's three circles 
When they overlap, there's one area where all three overlap. For me, that's my writing. And then I have coaching, speaking, doing live events, selling products, and those other areas. But I create a model where activity in any one area fuels activity in the others. That's really what I'm looking for. If you have something that fits that kind of a model, it really can help you elevate your success in so many different ways. So Libra says we start, we're starting over in life. My wife and I had things going great for a while. We had rental property and we're in real estate. During our quest to conquer the world, we realized almost too late that we were losing each other and our children. Now I work two jobs. She homeschools and we're trying to start a business. Sovereignliberty.com. It's kind of tough, but we will do it. Anyway, I guess I'm looking for direction on balancing life, work, and being able to move forward when I'm always tired from two jobs. I tend to get confused and overloaded. Help. Well, Liber, my, my observation after 20 years of working with people in their work is that if someone has experienced the thrill and freedom of being on their own, even if that experience did not produce the financial results they wanted, it's almost impossible to go back to a traditional job. You just know too much. You've seen too much in working a job. when I mean, you know, the project you just busted your butt to complete made the company a cool hundred thousand dollars and you were paid $15 an hour for your efforts. So let's just back up a little bit here. You were in real estate. Even if you got bombed by the downturn, and I know lots of people that got bombed by the downturn in real estate. I don't think you'll ever be satisfied working a job, much less two jobs. Real estate gives you what we call a really big shovel. You know you can flip one deal and make $30,000, and right now you're working day and night to make that in maybe four or five months. Balancing our lives is not a function of working for ourselves or having a traditional job with either one. We can use work as an excuse for working too much and not being available to family. Setting boundaries is a separate issue. And I have some friends, a couple who she asked me to intervene in their marriage a few years ago because he was never home girls were growing up without a dad around. He was never, and he's like, well, my gosh, I'm trying to build this business. How I've got to do that. Obviously I've got to be available. I've got to make it work. All right. Fast forward three years, three years later, they asked me to come in, sit down with them again. I did. He had, this was in June. He had already made $3 million that year in his business. Guess what? She's saying exactly the same thing. He's never home. The girls are now three years older. They don't know their dad. You know, when's he going to get involved with the family? He's like, oh my gosh, I got this business to run. You know, things are moving along. I got to keep it going. It would be irresponsible for me not to, not to do that. See, we take our habits with us. Our habits determine how much time we put into work, how available we are for other people that we say we care about. Those are habits. Those aren't defined by the kind of work we're doing. Now I looked at your website. The website you've got up is fine. The business you're trying to start, Sovereign Liberty. I don't really see um, how that's going to generate money. I know you've got some little banner ads there, but that's not going to generate any significant money, I don't think. I think that you need to go revisit what you know, define what it is that gives you a big shovel, identify what your priorities are, Make sure that you do have boundaries 
If you're working with a Venn diagram, you want all the activities that you're doing to be tied together, not things where you're wearing different hats. I suspect the reason you're struggling with that Venn diagram is because your current activities don't really blend together where activity in one fuels activity in all the others. And I also suspect from the tone of your note that the work you're doing is not really coming from your passion. It's just things you did to be responsible as a daddy to go out and make income coming in. Can I commend you on doing that for a very short period of time, but you got to find ways again to gravitate back into what you really care about what you're passionate about and make that the focus of the work that you do. Malcolm from North Carolina. Dan, I was listening to your podcast last week. Wanted to know if you could share some of the counsel you gave to Ken, the federal employee and retired military serviceman that described himself as comfortably lazy, securely boring and absolutely miserable as a federal employee. I believe many of us feel the same way. Wow. Many of us feel the same way. Well, the note that I got last week was, Um, from a gentleman who said, I'm 52 years old, retired military, a federal employee. I earn 82,000 a year in my current position and another 24,000 from my military retirement. I'm comfortably lazy, securely boring and absolutely miserable. As I just kind of touched on in the previous question, fulfillment and a sense of meaning do not need to come just from our work. Work is one tool for a successful life. So if you're lazy, bored, miserable, it's unfair to attribute all of that to your work. My question would be, what are you doing to keep yourself sharp and energetic physically? What are you doing to strengthen your family relationships? What are you doing to make a contribution in your community? What are you doing to make yourself a spiritual giant? See, those are not a function of only your work. Do that zero based time budget that I talk about. You have 168 hours a week. If you work 40 hours, now you have 128 hours. What are you doing to invest those hours wisely for the return that you want in your life? Well, let me move on. Got a couple more. Lewis from Oxford, Mississippi says, Dan, I'm a longtime listener and an oil portrait artist. I listen to you while I paint and find you to be inspirational. Well, that's, that's a cool thought. But he's asking about the last couple of weeks, uh, thoughts I had about copyright issues with artists. Yes. Okay. I remember what I was talking about last week. Somebody said he had taken a picture and then someone used that picture for inspiration for a painting that he was now selling. And the photographer was wondering how he was going to get paid. Well, we talked about that. I said he ought to be complimented because the guy found inspiration in his photograph and compliment the guy and work he had done. My, my daughter answered him it was an email question that she handled but she said that he ought to present an opportunity to the guy to say how about if we do this again where i take a picture and you do a painting of it we offer maybe both of them or on the painting then we do some kind of a joint venture anyway she's saying you know make sure you don't kill the friendship just to make a couple bucks But here, Lewis is saying, I thought I might share words from a fellow painter, quotation, quotation. I believe art is to be shared and seen rather than owned and concealed, that its purpose is to inspire a multitude rather than to be appreciated only by a select few. My time is better spent painting than worrying about copyright infringement. I'm thankful to create. I don't own the inspiration. I receive it and in gratitude, do my very best to bring it to life through paint. And if it ripples out into the world, I'm thankful I got to participate in the creation. Plus, I think it's a, I think that is a healthy perspective. 
we talked last week about the idea that people get inspiration for paintings from a lot of different areas, obviously. So if somebody found your photograph to be inspiring, or what if somebody finds your painting to be inspiring and uh, they then use that to inspire something that they're doing? I mean, that ought to be a compliment as you pass it along. Last week after answering that question, I walked out here to the group of artists that meet here every Wednesday morning as I'm doing the podcast, told them that story and got mixed response. There are professional artists. They know, you know, somebody ought to be sued. You know, there that's not right. There's copyright infringement. And I, I walked over to the shelf and picked up an audio that's in a little Amory case. It's in, so you pop it open. It's got on the front the nice cover that matches perfectly the 48 days to the work you love book, the same colors. It's the orange has a little 48 days logo on there. And it says diamonds from Dan. You open that up. Now, let me tell you how this, you can Google diamonds from Dan. It'll take you right to Amazon. It'll show you the, all the other products that I have, and you can purchase the same little DVD that I'm talking about. It is totally a bootleg product. There's no ISBN on it. It shows no publisher no producer. You can buy them. I don't know where they're coming from. We bought some just, it's totally bootlegged. Somebody took some of the video that I have in the 48 days seminar series and created a video and now they're selling them out there. Is it copyright violation? Absolutely. Does it violate everything good and true? Absolutely. Am I going to go after the guy? Absolutely not. <laughs> now that may sound like I'm a, I'm a, a weak businessman. Here's the deal. I could have my attorney go after the guy, you know, find him, shut him down. You know what? Something like that is going to pop up in China, Taiwan, or India tomorrow. It, it, I am not going to invest the emotional negative energy in doing that. Here's how I view it. We get calls from people or emails from people who purchase diamonds from Dan. Oh my gosh, I love this. You know, what else can I get from Dan? And they buy books. I consider it just ex extended marketing for us. Could I make a case for going out? Yeah, this is a really clear violation. This guy has stolen copyrighted material and it's a violation of everything good, honest, and true. I'm just not going to invest the negative emotional energy in that direction. I would rather take the time and energy and create something positive and new. That's the direction I'm going to go. Well, Hey, one quick one. Kent says, Dan, I was privileged to attend the right to the bank event in August. Want to say how much I loved it. it. Had a huge impact on me. My question with new year's around the corner, a lot of people are thinking about losing weight and getting healthy. I would love to hear your thoughts on the connection between personal health and success. More specifically, what is the connection between a person's appearance and their success? When I look at successful people, whatever field they're in, they're almost always slim, trim, and healthy. We all know we shouldn't judge others based on appearance, but the fact remains that being overweight does leave a negative impression. Is this necessarily a hindrance to someone's success? What counsel would you give those who struggle with weight regarding success? Wow, that is a hot potato. Geez, no matter how I answer, I'm probably going to get criticized. I mean, I know a lot of people who struggle with their weight. I mean, look at Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey. I mean, every late night comedian makes fun of him, especially as his profile was raised during the, the political runoff. Oprah has been very open about her struggles with her weight. And, and she's been open about the fact that her struggle is tied to other emotional areas of her life. I mean, my wife, Joanne, read a book last year 
that transformed her life. The book was When Pleasing Others is Hurting You, but it made her for the first time realize she needs to value herself as much as she values others. In the process, she lost over 40 pounds. I mean, she loves what happened. I love what happened. She feels better about herself. I mean, this is a very complex issue. But in general, we do know that discipline in one area carries over into other areas. I love to work with people who have already been through my buddy Dave Ramsey's financial peace program, because if they've shown the discipline to get control of their finances, I know they're excellent candidates to set goals and achieve them in other areas of their lives. Do we make judgments about people who are out of control physically? Yes, we do. So I think there is a connection. Yes. I think that we ought to do whatever we can to exercise discipline, to be excellent in every area of our life that we can. If you weigh 98 pounds and you're a slob in your house, you aren't responsible in your work. I mean, again, that's not a life that we want to emulate, but we do know that discipline in one area tends to carry over and provides people the discipline in other areas. I certainly do that. I tie my goals together knowing that it's the same kind of success principle at work or lack thereof. If I'm going to be successful in my marriage or if I'm going to be successful in my work, same principles are at work. I want to make sure that I'm using those to my advantage in every area of my life. And that certainly includes health wise as well. I've had a wonderful year health wise this year. Didn't really have as a goal to lose weight, but ended up losing about 18, 20 pounds anyway, just as a net as just as a offshoot of doing some things that I think made my health significantly better. Man, thanks for your questions. Well, Keep in mind, we've got lots of new fun things coming up here all the time. We've got the Innovate Conference coming up. A lot of excitement about that. Check that out on our live events. Coaching with Excellence, that's coming up in January. We're about a month away. So if you want to spot in that, we're going to teach you how to take your coaching to the next level. How to make that your not only a little stream of income, but a big stream of income. Got the cruise coming up. And um, cruises coming up in February. Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. Going to have a blast on that. Love to meet you there. Get involved in 48days.net. If you haven't joined that active, growing, vibrant community, you'll link arms with a whole lot of other people who are figuring out how to find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days community.